The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, welcome to Sex Lives. I'm Maureen O'Connor. Last weekend, I read an article that I just couldn't get out of my head. It's called The Last Taboo, Why Pop Culture Just Can't Deal with Black Male Sexuality. It appeared in the New York Times Magazine, and it starts from analyzing the role that the black penis plays in our culture, both as symbol and as an anatomical body part, and then sort of expands to look at the way race and sex play out in America, in pop culture, in our imaginations, and in our personal lives in a way that I found just really fascinating. It's a kind of article that as soon as I got to the end, I found myself Googling every reference in it because I just wanted to understand more. So to help us understand it even further, the writer Wesley Morse is here today. He's a critic at large for The New York Times and a staff writer at The New York Times Magazine. He also is the co-host of the Still Processing podcast. Maybe to just sort of go from the beginning, how mm. where did the idea for this topic come from? Uh, well, I mean, I think the structure of the piece is pretty much a fairly honest representation of how the piece kind of came together. Mm -hmm. I had been noticing that there were more penises on TV and in movies mm -hmm. than I'd ever seen before. Yeah. And once you start noticing, I mean, it wasn't like I, had, I was keeping my eyes peeled for them, but they'd show up and you'd be yeah. like, oh, okay, they're in the background. You notice when there's a dick on TV. Right. They're in the background is a, is a penis. And then you notice that there are more. And then you notice that there are actors who are taking roles that allow them to be new, like, like name, quote, name actors, unquote, that allow them either to be some version of nude. They're either wearing a prosthetic penis right. or there's a prosthetic penis that they, that leaves a you know, a dick print through their underwear, or you would just have people you don't know be naked in shows and the nudity is of no consequence. But the fact of the matter is that there are more naked men on TV now right. and in movies now than there, than I think there ever previously had been outside the world of the adult entertainment universe. And so I started to, I thought this was great. Finally, you know, nudity, but the more I became aware of this, the more I noticed that the, the nudity was mostly white almost entirely white. And then I noticed that that when you did experience black sexuality in this particular let's just call it a white entertainment environment for lack of to, to be clear about agency, right? Like okay. it's not I, I mean we're talking about American popular culture or mm -hmm. like popular culture in general, but I would say American popular culture as created produced, directed, written, and starring mostly white people. So being like major TV network, major movies, that kind right, of thing. Right, right, Then I started to think, well, why aren't there more black penises? And mm -hmm. what would it mean for there, for there to be one? And then I started to, I noticed that, that when you did see a depiction of black male sexuality or word of a black penis, it was usually derogatory or explicitly sexual or in the case of something like Ted 2, which is the Seth MacFarlane movie that came out last summer, it was designed to denigrate the black penis. That was actually so, of the many reasons why this is a fantastic article, the way you just pick apart how just jokes that could just be sort of written off as like, oh, it's these broing down jokes in a Seth MacFarlane movie are really, really pernicious. And actually, because of that, I went and I was like, oh, maybe I'll try to watch a couple of these clips from Ted 2. And actually, it was such a traumatizing incident that I was like, I really, nobody should oh, ever watch Ted 2. Okay. Yes. Okay. The whole well, thing was good. just horrible. 
I can remember leaving that movie and being really mad, but I'm also, I was also curious, you know, sometimes you think that you're the only person experiencing something sometimes, <laughs> and then you sort of amplify it or you give it some context, you break it apart and then apply some feelings to it and put it out in the world. Whatever emotion you have in response to to that experience becomes amplified and it resonates with people. And mm -hmm. it's so interesting to hear you say that just from watching a clip that you felt a, a kind of trauma watching it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this. I watched, you know, some like clip compilation of like funniest jokes in, mm -hmm. which was actually just mm -hmm. like a, mm -hmm. just like a really intense bludgeoning of a teddy bear with an annoying voice making racist jokes, right, right, uh, right. <laughs> which is not something I encourage for anyone. But a lot of people saw that movie and it was a hit. I know. You know, which which is also something to think about, too. Because I was considering whether we we're going to play a clip, right? I was like, oh, I should watch these clips and then decide. And I was like, I actually don't want to um, inflict this on any listeners. But for <laughs> reference, what we're talking about is sort of this perpetual joke of like black cocks on the Internet. Oh, my God, you're covered in black man jizz. And, right. you know, these sort of right. sort of asides that aren't actually about specific black people, I don't think. Um, no. But just asides no. about yep, that's, sort of yes, that's black a great... sex sexuality in a certain way, male right. sexuality, yes. in a really sort of, in a way that I think separates like the anatomy from the person in a way that is just really mm -hmm. gross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a great reaction to have to that problem. I mean, you, you, you identify the primary problems with that line. I mean, if they had picked one guy, you know, if they had like gone after one guy, it would have been bad. But the way in which they make it an entire race of people's anatomy. I was talking recently with somebody about, I don't know if it's Hangover 1 or Hangover 2, the one that Ken Jeong is in, where the, the joke is that he's completely naked and he has a tiny penis. Yeah, and like, I think, I think I, he's in all of them, I believe. I uh, think that's actually the last one, that joke. And it was something weird because one person in the room was saying that they thought it, you know, it was racist because it's... It just plays to this ridiculous stereotype and, you know, low punchline. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else goes, but it really is his body. And actually, I was thinking about that. This is get, this is ridiculous because it, we're making it sound like you only wrote about penises. You wrote about so much more than penises. Right. But I was thinking about that. And then, but it's a um, fundamental aspect. I mean, if you think about I had, I had a thing that I did not wind up using in the piece about, like, just to be clear about what it is a penis does. And how <laughs> it is both a necessary part of, of the anatomy and something that, that men have that uh -huh. on its face is innocent of all, of all crime at the start and has this very obvious biological function and also has several obvious biological, biological yeah. functions. And um, the ways in which you can ascribe meaning to, to that organ uh -huh. in a way that is completely divorced from what it's actually supposed to do. Because, you know, history, history is full of men who've abused that, that organ and have weaponized it. And then there are people like Ken Jong, who I would say is pretty innocent of whatever assumptions we have about Asian dicks. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because that's just he's his an, dick. <laughs> he's an Asian guy with a dick. You tell the story that you need to tell to justify whatever phobias you have about Asian mm -hmm. men, but I defy you to pin that on Ken Jong. It's well, I was thinking about that when I read the line that you point out, there is no paradigmatic white penis, mm -hmm. as though there's a certain type of penis that 
that we think ought to belong to certain types of people. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, it becomes so extra charged when you you see a different penis in that context or the one you think you're supposed to see in that Mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. It might have read as as being sardonic, but it's like a legitimate point. How if you're if you've got a character who is played by a black actor that you need to be naked, how do you cast for his stunt penis? Like, by what criterion do you determine that this is the black penis that you want to have on mm-hmm. this character? And so I think that there's a weird thing where even if people wanted to cast more black people to be naked in things, you just run up against all the politics of having you this, just freak out. this one, like, yeah, this one yeah. dick represent all dicks. Well, it's, um, that, it's that dilemma of having just one right, of any exemplar, right? right? We've is, seen right. one Asian so you, completely naked you, in a movie. You reach right. back into all of the other racisms that affect mm-hmm. your entertainment. It's an interesting question that I don't know. I don't know how you answer it. Um, I think, well, I do know how you answer it. You you let more black people deal with their own sexuality. Yeah. I mean, because what we're talking about also is just this institutional problem of the giving of meaning to something that the people who've been given the meaning didn't ask for it. It's basically a a white culture and white society telling a story about your dick that you had no hand in in, in creating. Mm -hmm. It's this myth that just has been in play since, you know, the dawn of civilization, you, you trace it really interestingly um, because you look at, you know, modern examples in, you know, like Ted 2 and other um, TV shows. But you also trace it all the way back to 1915 and D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting sort of point to locate as the beginning or. A, be- a, be- a well, beginning. In terms of popular pop, culture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is the most major entertainment mm-hmm. from that era. Um, by a by a long way. I mean, you go basically. I mean, you know, Birth of a Nation, Jazz Singer, Gone with the Wind are, mm-hmm. are like the three paradigmatic entertainments from that period, and all three of them have to do with race mm-hmm. and have to do with racism and and slavery and uh, racial identity. And Birth of a Nation was just the first one. Mm-hmm. So, for listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with. The beginnings of cinema. Can oh, you? sure. Birth of a Nation is this D.W. Griffith film that basically restages the Reconstruction era of the Civil War. Um, war ends. What do we do with all these freed slaves? Oh, I know. We freak out about how free they are mm-hmm. and find ways of stopping them from turning into crazy rapists and, and savages. And that's the Ku Klux Klan basically forms itself to stop this imagined, well, in the movie, it's unimagined at all. It's real. Mm-hmm. These crazy black people who want to come and rape all your women, all your white women, and take over your country. You have such an amazing passage about that in your story that you you write that. Well, actually, would you like to read this passage? No, Is that you weird? Can read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can Does that do it. that? No, you're right. You can read the history of the black penis in this country as a matter of eminent domain. If a slave master owned you, he also owned your body. Slaves were livestock and their duties included propagating the labor pool. Sex wasn't pleasure. It was work. Um, And you sort of go on to point out that then this sort of sex is power. It can be expressed through rape. And also the idea then that, you know, if a black man has more power, then you sort of as long as you're viewing 
power through sex that then mm-hmm. the, the sort of immediate question is like, what's going to happen? Is he going to steal a woman? And it struck me that it's interesting because what it also does is puts women sort of on that same everyone who is in a white man in that sort of scenario is basically sort of a chess piece on this mm-hmm. board oh, yeah. of that's, a power game. That's a great way to put it. Uh, I thought a lot about how to represent women in terms of, of how they function in this piece. Obviously, the role they play is kind of, ob- they're objectified sort of by by the very nature of, of what I'm writing about in some ways. But mm-hmm. it also was interesting that one of the primary paranoias during this period on behalf of white men is not just that black men want to rape their women. It's that white women want to have sex with black men and will Mm -hmm. enjoy it and will never want to have sex with a white man again. And so you have these dueling fears based around the inverted, inverted paranoias, inverted ideas of the same paranoia, right? Mm -hmm. Like either way, black male sexuality is a threat, but it's a double threat because it's either inviting itself or it is being invited mm-hmm. by white women or you know it's it's inviting itself on behalf of white women and then being invited by white women to to pleasure them um and this is the this is white male delusion we're talking yeah. about and how that delusion infiltrates all <laughs> pretty much the entire societal structure from there and it's it's lasted it's lasting for centuries. It's so fucked you know? up. I mean, I think that the most startling you open that, you know, thinking about penises and TV and the most startling and dark, like the moment that I was like, holy shit, like reading this, was that you just point out that the most sort of lovingly filmed black dick you'd seen was in the night of and it was in a corpse. Mm-hmm. And like that mm-hmm. was just so chilling. Yeah. yeah. Um I like that show too. It's not Yeah, no. And you know, it's one of those <laughs> things that happens when you notice this this problem. It can come up on you at any time. You could you could really be having the time of your life enjoying watching something or reading something yeah. or seeing something. And then all of a sudden it'll reveal itself to have certain feelings about you, Wesley, a, a black man in mm-hmm. the audience. I don't think the night of was saying anything about black men by, no. by showing that. But it was interesting that that is that is the penis you see. Yeah. You know, and for my purposes, it, it really is all of the pe- it's a version of all the penises you see it either. The only way to see a black penis, really, an innocent black penis is to see it dead. Um, <laughs> Divorced from like all signs of the intentionality of the person that owns right, it. Right. Because right, they have right, no self anymore. Right, They're not right, conscious. Right. I wonder if the makers of that show really thought about what what it would mean to do that. I'm sure they didn't think anything of it. On the one hand, it's a very simple situation. You have a dead body in a morgue and the 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 autopsy guy whose name is whose actual title is now escaping me. The coroner, sorry, is doing his job and he happens to be doing his job on a black guy. But you could just there's something about the way in which I don't know if you've seen the show or the Mm -hmm. shot. I actually don't remember that shot. But oh, that's the other thing, right? (laughs) Like it isn't it isn't something that's terribly remarkable, but the camera just sort of pans down yeah. the body and ends at this guy's crotch, basically. Yeah. And it stays there for for a second and you've no idea you've no idea why. I kinda of surprised that I missed a penis shot. I feel like I'm really paying attention to well, the penis moments. Probably because you're not you know, a necrophiliac, for one thing. <laughs> I guess when it's like a corpse, you know what? Actually, I don't. I tend not to pay as much attention because I don't like looking at that. Right. Um, right. I mean, corpses. Not that dicks. speaks well of you. 
Maureen. <laughs> I'm curious also that this article, you don't typically write about yourself, or at least not that I've noticed. Not like um, not like this, no. And you did end up offering some sort of personal stories about yourself as a black man hooking up with other men. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you decide to include yourself in this particular story? Um, I don't know. I just felt felt like it was important for this to be slightly more than an academic or intellectual unpacking of something happening in popular culture, which on on its own, I think, is probably a perfectly legitimate way to proceed. But I also thought, okay, I'm going to I'm going to lay out all the ways in which this change in popular culture is happening who's not included in that change, yeah. what it would mean for that change to be included, and why that problem exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seemed important to me, um, or it became important to me. An editor sort of pointed out the woman I wrote the piece with, her name is Sasha Weiss. Mm-hmm. And she um, she just wanted to know how I felt about going a little bit deeper. And I thought, well, yeah, okay. I think I can do that. And I think I can justify doing that by wanting the reader to feel what that history feels like. Yeah. Um, you know, if I if I do this right and the structure was not entirely my idea. That was um mm-hmm. that came through a couple of editing meetings. And I actually like the idea of of laying out what the situation is, how it got the way it, the way it is. And then saying, you know, once you get to some story about me, mm-hmm. you kind of understand like, oh, wait, this is there's a direct line from all of this stuff to actual human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Both white people and black people. You just have that utterly traumatizing Funny only in, like, I suppose the metaphors you use to describe the moment of somebody, like, about to ha- hook up with you. Right. And then clearly reacting to what they think your penis ought to look like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, versus the reality of that. Do you feel do you feel crazy having put that in writing? No, not really. I mean, Good. it's funny. I don't feel I have no insecurities about yeah. myself as a as a person. I'm fine with my body. I love yeah. my body. It's other people's problem if they don't yeah. love my body. I think about this a lot as a person who writes about sex Mm -hmm. and like talks to other people who write about sex pretty frequently. And I think it's easy to criticize writing about sex as being like, oh, people always have to insert themselves or whatever. Mm. But the thing is, there is no discussion if you can't talk about it in an intimate way, which could be someone else's story or just as easily putting yourself on the level of scrutiny that Mm -hmm. you're also placing on, you know, other actors who take their clothes off or, Mm -hmm. you know, other people's sex lives. And I think like... There's something performative sort of necessarily about writing about normalizing the portrayal of sex and, you know, humanizing the way, I guess, inviting people to empathize with mm. people's sexual stories. Yep. And then you're right there writing your story, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's two things to that because mm-hmm. you're totally right. Thing number one is I happen if you think about all of the pieces of of writing, of essay writing, or maybe of any kind, but I guess at the point at which you're writing about yourself, you've moved from a piece of 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 standard criticism yeah. to, into something more essay like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of the things I love to read do some version of that. Yeah. Uh, thing number two is we're 
totally fucked up about sex. Yeah. Like we don't talk about it. It is this thing that like nobody wants to deal with. It is ruining our fucking election. Oh my God. You know, our entire election is a referendum on three dicks. <laughs> it's ridiculous also because I was just talking to my editors about this. You know, they're like, well, can you read some more political articles? And whatnot? And it's like, you know, the problem though is that this election is intensely about sexual politics. Mm-hmm. But it's not actually about sex. Right. There's like right. no sex that right. actually happened with or to any of these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Anthony Weiner didn't. Well, the Clinton, ever... the Clinton, Bill Clinton is. OK, so there was real <laughs> sex there. There was real sex there. Right. But, um, but your point, your point, this is a great point. Keep going. OK, so Anthony Weiner literally never even touched anyone. And then we're forced to recognize on one hand that a sex crime can occur without anyone physically touching the other mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. if the person in question was 15 years old. Right. Or on the other hand, Donald Trump could theoretically sexually assault somebody without ever actually having sex. Mm -hmm. And like we still even the discussions of politics that are directly about sex, like say about like reproductive health Mm -hmm. or about marriage and civil rights, even those discussions are somehow not even connected to actual like romance, sex or marriage that Mm -hmm. we're in this sort of hyper violent discussion of basically crimes that are related to sex but don't actually have anything to do with right. the way people fall in love and have sex. Right. Those conversations, would they proceed differently if we were more acclimated and comfortable with talking about, acclimated to and comfortable with talking about sex? Why would we be talking about pleasant, consensual, mutually orgasmic right. sex? You know, like, okay, there isn't necessarily a reason for presidential candidates to talk about such things. The only times these things ever come up in a national sense is when they do involve when it's some a congressman's dick, right? Yeah. Or there is some scandal in some state house involving the governor and his mistress or the president mm-hmm. and his mistress. But I mean, in terms of what we're talking about, I do think that one of the things that I wanted to try to do with this story is to present another way to hopefully yeah. normalize black sexuality. And then mm-hmm. the, the best way I can think to do that is to let black people do it for themselves. Right. You know, I mean, this isn't to say that that white people can't can neither have sex with black people nor represent sexual black people Mm -hmm. but it isn't quite the same and you have fewer things to deal with when it's just a black person representing their own sexuality you know i'm curious do you think that race plays out differently in among like say just gay men versus or just the way race plays out in that sort of environment i would say now listen i'm not heterosexual so i can't say yeah everything i know about about heterosexual dating is purely anecdotally mm-hmm. although you know and what you've seen with your own two eyes yeah but i would say gay men are i don't want to say they're more racist than straight men but i think their comfort with being racist is just higher because they don't think they can be racist why because they're also a quote minority unquote Oh, interesting. And so having a preference, stating a preference, I think I think being a quote minority unquote, I say minority because I don't like that term, but that's mm-hmm. probably the term that they would use. But but being a gay person somehow inoculates you. It makes it impossible for you to be a racist because people can do discriminatory discriminatory things against you. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because most of the racism yeah. I've experienced has been from gay men, I should say. 
and gay men who've had no problem just making assumptions about me without knowing who I am based purely on my race, not wanting to engage with me because of my race and explicitly saying that that's the reason they don't want to engage with me. It's the explicitness that I think Mm -hmm. is sort of shocking that sometimes like say I think... You know, like on Grinder, you might see somebody that'll say like no Asians or something or no. Might see. <laughs> <laughs> might see. see. So I've heard. I mean, I've seen. It's... But is that about gay men or is that just about men acting in a world that sort of sex just plays out differently when it's all men well, or so dating? I think there is a kind of thing that straight men have, too, where when it's just the guys, it's OK. Like. Maildom is a safe space. So whatever I see happening on Grinder, there's some version of that happening when it's only men around. Uh, I mean, this is this is <laughs> the they're ac- not showing each other their dicks, which is, is the one thing they ought to be this doing. This is the Access Hollywood problem, right? The boys this, on the bus. This is this is the boys on the this and yeah. every guy who came out and said you know, I got to tell you, man, that's just locker room talk. It's just like how it is when we get together. You know, we got to talk about our junk. So I know I kind of love your bro voice and it's kind of sexy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is that really like upset? <laughs> there's something weird that I was like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think that there's a way that men sort of and I've never really processed this out. But yeah, I would say just based on my experience with with a, with certain classes of gay men, um, there's a way in which you talk to each other that you just sort of feel like you don't need a filter for because who's going to stop you? Uh-huh. Um, and the assumption, of course, I mean, there's a lot of misogyny. I think mm-hmm. I think there's this really interesting overlap of racism and misogyny in gay culture that is entirely normalized and not very much examined that allows certain men to say or do whatever it is they want to non-white people Mm -hmm. and to non-white men, I should say, because I've seen them, I've seen them be physically disgusting to women in in a way that is indistinguishable from the way a a straight man would treat a woman right? in terms of what they do to their bodies. Right. And, and how women can sort of, I've seen women resist it, but it also is kind of like, it's okay. You don't really mean it because you're gay. Oh, I hate that shit. You know, I mean, like there's, the, a, there's I, a way in which, like, I'm going to let you degrade me because it doesn't have, it's not about sex. Because I don't with, think you're literally going to rape me, right, but, you know. Right, right. Which is, you know, brings, like, re-enters this whole, con- mm-hmm. this whole conundrum of, of what rape is actually about. Yeah. Which is not sex. Yeah. You know? Ugh. Um. So I, I think that my experience, I would say I experienced more racism from gay men mm-hmm. than I have from straight men, for sure. I don't know if that's just because I don't date straight men and they haven't had an opportunity to express that form of racism. <laughs> um, like I haven't given them a yeah. chance. But I will tell you that there is a world of difference between dating black and Hispanic men versus dating white people. And the major difference is there's no racism. <laughs> Interesting. You know, there are other things that can come up. Do you mean that, that racism from the person you're dating or from people observing you on the outside? Oh. All of the above. Oh, that's interesting. That's a really interesting distinction. I would say I would say both. I would say there is an assumption that people make when you're a non-white person with a not, with a white person that signals to either other white people that you're one way somebody there. Like it, yeah. it unleashes a fetish in another person. It is, you know, a pretty good advertisement for somebody's sexual interest, right? Like mm-hmm. if you and I go out and 
somebody who's got an Asian fetish sees us together, mm-hmm. uh, like another black man, it could signal to him like, oh, well, she, she's open to me, too. I know. They're like, oh, that this, permutation's been done right, once before. Right, and right. thus. So I have seen this happen with, with black men and white men when they go out. Uh-huh. It'll say to another white man that it's okay to come over to me because I'm with white people. I'm, I'm clearly going to be cool with him coming up and saying or doing whatever he wants. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, sometimes yeah. it's very benign, and I don't know that that's the reason he's done it. But other times, because of what we've been talking about before with this, like, environmental comfort of of sort of, you know, homosocial activity, mm-hmm. it allows a guy to come up to you and just be like, so you like white guys? I can see that. I mean, what? here's a version of something I get. Well, I thought, not only did I think you're, I thought you'd have, like, I thought your dick would be 10 inches long. Uh, there's also the, I thought you'd sound blacker. Um, I thought you, you know, oh, well, your house is really nice. That sort of thing. You, you, what you, do you even do in a situation like that? Uh, you make a mental note to never see the person again. Yeah. That's pretty much it. What do you say when somebody, like, I thought your dick would be bigger? Like, what do you even do in that moment? Well, with the guy that I tell the story, the German it. guy, he just did it. He did us both a favor by just putting his clothes back on and leaving. <laughs> Um, I mean, I didn't really want to investigate that. You don't, it's that, that is the thing you don't even have to investigate. You know, I mean, I guess in this piece, that's, that's actually what I do, but I knew what the deal was when it happened. So that doesn't actually, I suppose when something like that happens, it's whether, you know, you find it like personally traumatizing and like upsetting. Here's, here's what I'll say. And you've probably had a version of this too. There is a way in which if you're, if you're dealing with white people, there's a way to ask questions yeah. and there's a way to, or there's even a way to express presumptions that isn't offensive or appalling or, or a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to answer questions that you have about black people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just don't think that those questions should be asked while you're about to have sex. I don't think those questions should be asked around the subject of sex. Anything that is sort of non-cultural and purely don't ask questions about race when someone's naked. That feels wrong. I think we can make that be. Yeah, that's a pretty a good. Mm, I, I could have just put it that way. I could have just put it that way. I could have just put it that way. That's probably that's probably right. That's probably right. I mean, because it's not that we don't want to talk about this stuff. We just kind of want to talk about it right. Yeah. And we want to talk about it. This is the other thing. I don't want you just like vomiting your presumptions and then you're gone. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the things, I mean, and there's a natural impulse to sort of like eject or reject something that is a pathogen, like racism is a pathogen. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a natural impulse to, to get rid of it or make it go away. I would say, I mean, I'm much more interested if it's someone that I'm interested in or an actual friend who just Mm -hmm. has a crazy idea about something. Cause sometimes with friendships, (laughs) you don't get everything known immediately there's all kinds of ways for for your like friends to, wait i don't know i mean there are all kinds of things that your friends could not know about black people for instance okay or like have questions about regarding you as a black person or I you as, a, as an asian yes. woman right and you have to you just i mean at some point you're just a professional human you just are prepared <laughs> to deal with that stuff yeah i thought you were gonna say that like you know the moment when you get to find out whether or not your friend has a large penis and i was like oh interesting <laughs> does that does that always happen i don't know <laughs> no, it does not. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like talking about this stuff is the only way to make it 
seem normal and for people to know what is good and bad about how we talk about it. Um, I remember a long time ago, there was a guy who was so interested in the physical contrast of our skin. Mm -hmm. He just was like, I can't believe like my white skin is touching in this brown. (laughs) And I kind of, it wasn't offensive to me. Like if you think about it, it is kind of like, yeah, yeah, wild. Look at this. (laughs) Your light skin and my brown skin is, I'm open to that. To that kind of wonder. Yeah. But sometimes, I mean, wonder is not the same thing as contempt or degradation. There's nothing degrading. Yeah. So that degrading in a moment like that where a guy is yeah. like, I, I love how our skin looks together. That's like in the fetish realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not it's not immediately a problem because you, I, I, as far as I know, if that's the only time you've said something like that. It's just, it's something that clearly has never happened to you before or doesn't happen often to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's the only thing you want to have happen sexually. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't really know any of those things in that moment. And it's only later when you start asking more questions that you get an answer. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are many ways for people of different races to be intimate with each other without that intimacy, A, being a problem, and without the differences between you being explored Mm-hmm. Uh, without there being a problem. I think the exp- you're, you're two people, you want to get to know each other. And if I'm black, my being black is a huge part of who I yeah. am. And I I love that part of myself. And I, I, if I'm with you, I'm prepared to share that with you. But you have to be open to receiving it because mm-hmm. it's a lot. Thank you. Thank you for appreciated having me. it. I love great. the article. Thank you. Well, that's it for Sex Lives. A reminder, you can always reach us at our voicemail box at 646-494-3590. If you have thoughts about what Wesley had to say about black male sexuality, race, dating, or maybe how great his impression of a locker room bro is, give us a call at 646-494-3590. Sex Lives is produced by Afim Shapiro. Thanks also to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer at Panoply. That's all for this week. We'll talk to you soon.